Let's pray. Father, we ask you to, to reveal yourself in your words this morning. We ask that you would meet the need of every heart under the sound of my voice and that we would all walk away richer and healthier and stronger because we've had an encounter with you. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So jumping right in, uh, I'm not going to read the whole book. I'm going to start at verse 4. Paul says, I thank my God always, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Jesus Christ. For we have great joy and consolation in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, being such an one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable profitable to you and to me. I am sending him back. You, therefore, receive him, that is, my own heart, whom I wish to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. But without your consent I wanted to do nothing, for your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever. No longer a slave, but more than a slave. A beloved brother, especially to me, but now much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you count me a partner, receive him as you would me. But if he has wronged you or owes anything, put that on my account. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay, not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides. So apparently Philemon had a small church that met in his house. Now, I like small churches. Been a member of many of them. You have to be real in a small church. See, you can hide in a big church, but you can't hide in a little church. It's like living in a little town. Everybody knows everything about you. The Apostle Paul writes how very thankful he is for Philemon and the church that meets in his house, making mention always to God on his behalf, grateful for the beacon of light in a dark world. And that's what a church is. In a city, in a town, a neighborhood, it's a beacon of light. It's a place where we grow and we're safe because of the presence of the Lord, who is all things good. He meets us in this small church, and he channels his love through each one of us through this church. Every church has this as their mission. In a small town or in a small church, everyone needs to exercise their gifts 
That's one reason the Lord planted them here, because their giftings are needed. Another reason is for them to grow. You will never grow more than when you're exercising your gifts. So this is the setting for this short epistle from the Apostle Paul. We can be pretty sure that this letter was read by all the members of the small church. Secrets are not easily hid in an intimate setting like a small church. Wherefore, it says in verse 8, because of all the good report that this church has, Paul lays out the reason for his writing. And it's a runaway slave named Onesimus who had run away from Philemon. Now, in those days, that was one way to satisfy a debt, to become a slave. They didn't have bankruptcy laws like we do now. If you had a debt you couldn't pay, you would go in servitude to another to satisfy the debt. Or you could put a slave of yours to give him to satisfy the debt, or a child or a family member. Either way, it was a legal and binding agreement that was in force until the debt was paid. Aren't you glad that's not today? Now, my wife's mother is the only girl in a family of 13 children. Her mother's oldest brother, get this straight, was put in servitude at the age of 12 to help pay the bills for the family. Even though he understood the reason and uh, so on for, for her doing this to him, it was, he was resentful over this for the rest of his life. It was a personal rejection and an insult, and it was a huge obstacle for him to overcome. And probably it was so with Onesimus. It doesn't look very shiny knowing that you are going to be someone's personal slave for a period of time or maybe the rest of your life. So rather than work it off, like the contract said, Onesimus thought, I'm just going to run off and go to Rome. And that's exactly what he did. Rome, the center of the civilized world at that time, the place of opportunity, a place to get a new start, also a place where nobody knows me. I don't have to answer any questions I don't want to. I can just hang out and start over. You see, it's easier to hide in Denver than it is in Parlin or Almont. It's pretty tough to hide in, in Parlin. There's only one small detail that you know, Onesimus overlooked, and that is this. The all-seeing God was busy wooing him into his kingdom. I love this about the Lord. He pursues us. Not because we have merited his attention, or by our great deeds, or because we're intellectually superior, or I'm such a prize, not because of my wealth. None of that. You see, He doesn't need me or any one of us. 
skipping over this part. It's embarrassing. So, the only reason that the Lord pursues us is that He loves us. That's the only reason. So back to Onesimus. Paul doesn't say how he wound up in bondage or how long he'd been there and been on the run, but Paul calls him my son, begotten in my bonds. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. We are all begotten in bonds, in that he who knew no sin became sin for us. The great price for us was paid on his cross when he said, It is finished. It is finished. I don't think I'll ever fully comprehend this great truth in this flesh, but what I am able to understand gives me hope. I've been begotten. That's a King James word, and it means bought, accepted, cherished, valued, freed, paid for. I'm not a slave anymore, and neither are you. If we simply acknowledge God's gift of His Son, who submitted to bondage in order to set us free, now, Paul says in verse 11 that we used to be unprofitable, but now we're profitable to the Lord and to those around us. You know what the name Onesimus means? Profitable. Isn't that cool? This happened to Onesimus because he ran right into God when he thought he was running away. We can run, we can hide. We can pursue a sin-filled life with all the vigor we can muster, but we can't outrun the love of God. Where we go, He's already there. Such was the case with Onesimus. Even in the hedonistic, idolatrous place called Rome, Onesimus had an appointment to meet the Most High God, and it changed his life forever. To the degree that he would go back to his former master, Philemon, which means affectionate. Isn't that cool? And set things right. Now sometimes it's not enough to just get saved and go merrily on our way with our salvation, ignoring those that we have wronged or hurt in our path. Setting things right has nothing to do with my salvation, but it has everything to do with my peace. Paul said Onesimus would be a real asset to him in Rome, doing the work of the Lord. But without your blessing, Philemon, none of that is going to happen. Here's the heart of this gospel. This epistle, the fact that every one of us has been wronged and will continue to be wronged by the world, by our family, even by other Christians. 
we will have opportunity during the course of our lives to be in the role of Onesimus and the role of Philemon, the stepped-on and the stepper. We will, throughout our lives, be the offended and the offender. Now, these offenses come usually in two forms. There's the real where there's an actual damage done, whether monetary, physical, or emotional, and also the perceived, when we feel like we've been trespassed against. Both are capable of crippling us emotionally to the same degree. Either way, we will both think and feel that we've been a victim. Now, In this story, Paul actually plays the role of Jesus. Think of everything that he says in there. He sounds just like Jesus sounds when Jesus confronts me. We've talked about Onesimus and his deeds, how he ran from his obligations and became a believer and willing to make amends for his behavior. This takes a tremendous amount of courage to stand before those we have wronged and confess and confess my failings. Paul wrote that Onesimus's sinful stunt was for a season, for a while. Most sin is for a season. But the setting right part lasts forever. And it's above that of a servant and a transgressor. It's the position of a brother, an equal, in the flesh, Paul writes, and in the Lord. Now Jesus, Paul, says here, If you count me a partner, if you count me a partner, receive him as you would me. This isn't an option. If you want God's participation in your affairs, if I want God's participation in my affairs, I've got a responsibility to forgive. It's not an option. There's no graduating scale of greater and lesser offenses where I have the privilege to choose which ones I can forgive and which ones I can't or don't have to. Jesus didn't hold me to such a standard. When he forgave my sin, he forgave them all, great and small. And he did so for you too. If I count Jesus a partner, that is what I'm asked to do. The New King James says, If he has wronged you or owes anything, put that on my account. Whose account? Jesus Christ. Put it on His account. It's human nature to think of my sin as smaller than others. Anybody ever think that way? Just me. Sorry. It is also human nature to want mercy for my sin and justice for others. Does anybody ever feel that way? One, two more. Yeah. 
But that isn't what forgiveness is for. Forgiveness is for me. We as humans think that if I forgive someone who has wronged me, then they're going to actually get away with something. Especially something that has hurt me or someone that I love. But that isn't what God's saying here. Put that on my account. You are no longer the judge. It's not even on your books. This is a perfect example of the biblical principle of imputation. Romans 4, Paul quotes David from Psalm 32 too. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Now, the Greek word for impute is logizomahi. And it means to take an inventory, to conclude, to count, literally to put on an account. Same word in Philemon, but it is translated account. There's a blessing here. The Lord does not count my sin against me. There's a blessing for the other brother and sister that I do, as has been done for me, not to count their sin against them. In this action, I am a partner with Christ. I'm being a Christian, a Christ-like one. Psalm 103.12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has He separated our sin from us. Now that's not like a circle like the globe where they're eventually going to run into each other. That's like a straight line from that end of the universe, which we don't know how far that is, to that end of the universe. Never to meet again. That's how far He has removed our transgression from us. Thank you, Lord. In verse 19, Paul, Jesus, says, I have written this with my own hand. I will repay. Now think of heaven. All the glory, all the splendor, all the majesty, the presence, the very presence of God Almighty. Imagine the pomp and splendor of that place. Imagine the music. Awesome. But in this setting, there is only one thing man-made. The scars on Jesus' body. That's the only man-made thing in heaven. That is the hand, scarred by a spike, that writes, I will repay. Put it on my account. The account has been settled. Jesus paid it all in full. My sin, your sin, all sin. Written with his own hand. Not to mention, Paul goes on, to you that you owe me your own self besides. You know that without God's redeeming, forgiving, renewing grace that 
I, we are nothing? I owe. I owe a debt I could never repay. Matthew 6, and we prayed this this morning, the Lord's Prayer. One of the most repeated teachings, pieces of Scripture in all the Bible. It covers all of life's cares. But what's really interesting is the next two verses after that, verse 14 and 15 of Matthew 6, Jesus reemphasizes only one of all the great points of the Lord's Prayer. He says, If you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Must be important. More than my daily bread, more than avoiding temptation, more than resisting evil, deliverance from evil. Forgive and you will be forgiven. As I said, forgiveness is for us. When we forgive, as we forgive, we are forgiven. Christians aren't really known for this. We should be, but we're not. To the world, we're known as bickering, judgmental elites who often act like we're better than others. Not all of us. Not all the time. The truth is, I do not say to you how you owe me even your own self besides. I owe. My debt is far greater than any offense I could ever have done against me. Now, Joyce Myers, the Christian author and teacher, says, Oh, you've been wronged. I know you've been wronged. Matter of fact, You've been wrong to such a degree that I'll give you a week. No, I'll even give you a month to get over it. But get over it. She realizes that the baggage of unforgiveness will cripple a Christian in our walk in the Lord more than anything. When Paul writes, Receive him as myself to Philemon about Onesimus' obvious sin against him, It is like Jesus Christ saying to me, Receive him just like you would receive me, referring to anyone who has wronged you. And we're running out of time. Look at all the pages I have we could talk about. I want to boil this down to one quick story to make it an application. This guy sold me a loader one time. And uh, I test drove it and worked it a little bit, and I thought, all right, good price. I bought it on a Friday afternoon about 5 o'clock. Before I even got a mile, because I had to road it to my job, the head gasket blew. I talked to some friends of mine that worked for this guy, and he said, oh, that head gasket has been gone for months. That's why it's just been parked over there. In other words, I had been swindled. So I was at the bank at 8.10 in the morning on Monday to put a stop on that check. He was there at 8.05. No matter how I wiggled or what I did, I could not get out of this loader deal, and it looked like I was just going to have to eat it. 
Well, this uh, friend of mine, mentor actually, his name is Al Edwards, he saw me one day and he said, how you doing? You don't look so good. <laughs> I said, I'm not doing good at all. He said, how come? And I told him about the loader story. He said, yeah, I know all about that. He says, what are you doing about it? Are you praying for those guys? I said, oh, yeah, I'm praying for them, all right. He said, well, what are you praying? I won't repeat the list because you probably won't appreciate it that much, but I'll bet you know what's on it. He said, that isn't right. He said, you've got to pray for those guys what you want the Lord to do for you. I said, how do I do that? He said, just in the morning, your morning prayer when you're on your knees, you just you pray for them everything you want for you. I said, I won't mean it. He said, I know, but try it. So I tried it just because I didn't like where I was. After about five days, I meant it. I meant what I was praying for those guys. After about a week and a half, I was free of this whole thing. I don't know what, eventually somebody else bought the loader for me that was a mechanic. I don't know what happened to those guys. I know what happened to me. And that's why I tell you this story. I was set free by acting like Jesus and not acting like Jeff. If whenever an incident comes into mind that carries with it a resentment, the definition of resentment is anger relived. That incident needs spiritual healing. Offer forgiveness to that person. Pray for that person what you want the Lord to do for you. Do it as long as it takes. And here's how you'll know when you've been healed, spiritually healed. When that incident comes into your mind, it's just a memory. There is no spiritual sting, no emotional sting connected with it. It's just something that happened one day and you were there. This is freedom. It's the freedom that comes with forgiveness. It may seem impossible to achieve when we're we're in the depths of our hurts, but it will come if we, from our hearts, forgive. If when I was giving this message, some of those little emotional stings hit you, please come up after the service and get prayer for them. I don't want you walking out of here crippled. I want you walking out of here whole. I'll be myself and some others here to pray for you. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this, uh, this lesson on forgiveness. Thank you for your forgiveness. Teach us to forgive as you have forgiven. And help us to walk in freedom of the forgiveness you have given. And to be, have the courage to take action for those uh, those we need to forgive. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. And our last hymn, if you would please stand, is uh, Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee.
Uh, let's form a rectangle. We haven't done that for a while. And I would ask that we, uh, we want to hear your joys this morning. I would ask that you speak up because I don't have my hearing aids on because they don't fit on this thing. <laughs> Can you hear for me? Johnston's. Hallelujah. That is awesome. The age of miracles is still with us. It is today. Others, Joyce, Kelly. Thank you, Kelly. Other joys? John. Pray for them what you want the Lord to do for you. <laughs> Any others? We are going to sing Hallelujah to the Lord a cappella. <laughs>
betcha. Bless your heart. Tell me your name. Lydia. Lydia. Bless your heart. <laughs> Feel real bad about what's going on with Valerie, but you know what? We stand and lift up. 